Bibles, get them ready this morning. I want to start with prayer. Thank you again for joining us this day. And we've come to a very, very important part of our, of our service, and that is the, the proclamation of the Word of God. I want you to understand that there's nothing that I can say that can make a difference in anybody's life, but the power of the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, changes lives forever. And if I didn't believe that, then I would walk out that door and never come back. But I believe in the power of the Word of God as it is proclaimed. And so let's pray. Jesus, now, Lord, as we take these Bibles in our hands, as we open our hearts for what you desire to speak to us, I pray, Lord Jesus, that seeds would be planted, small plants would be nourished, that great things would grow from small seeds, that lives will be changed, not only ours, for you never change us just for us, but that our lives would be changed so that other lives will be changed. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us dreams, that you would sustain God-given dreams, that you would use god given dreams, and fulfill them. Again, not for our glory, but for yours, for there is no one else who should ever receive the glory but you alone, for you are the one who gives us dreams. We commit this time to you and ourselves to you. Again, in Jesus' name, speak to us. Amen. His name, his name was Joseph. He lived a very long time ago, almost 4,000 years ago, which again is an extremely long period of time when you talk four millennia, and yet, though he lived a long time ago, his story is as relatable, his true story is as relatable today as the very day that it was first written. His name was Joseph. Uh, If you were here with us last week, we began his story, looking at his story in this place and at this time last week, um, and and his story is in Genesis chapter 37. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. It's the first book of the Bible, chapter 37, and we'll read here in a few moments. Joseph, this man named Joseph, was the son of a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob, there's a lot about him in the Bible. Uh, He was a fascinating study himself. Jacob, the Bible tells us, had 13 children by four different wives. He had 11 other sons other than Joseph, but Joseph was his favorite. The Bible makes that clear on a number of occasions. Joseph was without question his favorite son. Not his oldest, but his favorite. That favoritism that is spoken about many times was was shown perhaps most dramatically when Jacob gave Joseph a, a multicolored robe, sometimes referred to as a coat of many colors. He gave him this multicolored <coughs> robe and no one else had a robe like it. It was, it, was, it was multicolored, but it was also embroidered. It was, there were probably jewels that were affixed to it. I mean, it, was, it must have been an amazing thing to see. 
Again, no one else had one like it, but that favoritism that was displayed not only in word and in action, but also with this, with this robe, that favoritism was shown when, more than any other way, when Jacob gave Joseph that, that, that robe. His brothers resented it. That's understandable. But their resentment, the Bible says, we looked at this last week, but their resentment turned to hatred after Joseph had a God-given dream. They didn't like their brother. They wouldn't speak to their brother. They were jealous of their brother, but they began to hate their brother when God gave Joseph a dream that no one else had ever had. God gave him a dream, two dreams actually. Now, here's the thing. Dreams factor pretty big in the life of Joseph. God specified God-given dreams. We're calling this brief uh, series of messages The Dreamer. We're calling it The Dreamer. And we're talking about dreams, not only Joseph's dreams, but dreams that God can and will, perhaps already has, given you. I shared briefly on this last week, this part of it, and, and I want to I clarify again, just underline this very fact, that I'm not talking about any dream. I'm not talking about a dream like you had last night that may just be your, your mind at rest, thinking of any number of things. No, I'm talking about God-given dreams. I'm talking about the times when God speaks something. It, you may be asleep, you may be awake. You may be doing something, and all of a sudden, the Lord puts something into your heart. He gives you a glimpse of what you will be or what you will become. He gives you a small glimmer into the future. He doesn't give you everything. That's the nature of it. But he shows you a little idea of what you're going to do. We sometimes call it, well, I've got this, this overwhelming burden. Or uh, sometimes we'll say, I, I have a calling. Or I had one of those God moments where I just knew that he spoke to me something and he told me to do this or he told me to be this. Dreams are very important. God-given dreams. You have to understand when God gave Joseph a dream, it was, it was a rare thing in that day. But there were a lot of things that were rare in that day. What, the Spirit of God moving upon people was also very rare in that day. Today, God gives many people dreams, and I believe that he has given many of you dreams, glimpses of something, again, of what you will do, what you will become, what you will accomplish. Some of you have seen those dreams realized. Some of you are experiencing the full effect of those dreams right now, but God-given thing, God-given dreams, God-given dreams that will change your life, that will that will cause you to rearrange your priorities, that will cause you to work hard all day to, to sometimes sleep kind of light at night, things that will drive you, things that will, will impel you, compel you. There are some things that will, that will absolutely change what you do and what you are. They, those are God-given dreams. Has God given you some dreams? Has God spoken some things into your life of what you will do or what you will become? In Joseph's dreams, God gave him a glimpse of his future. 
In his dreams, there were two of them at this point, there would be more, but in his dreams at this point, he dreamt, they were somewhat similar, both of them. One, it was his symbols of his brothers bowing down to him, and the second one, it was both his brothers and his parents bowing down to him. And that's really all it was. It was just this image that he saw, and all he knew is that it meant that someday, in some way, some place, his family would bow down to him. Now, the details were lacking. He did not know how it would happen or when it would happen, what would precede it. But it says because of those dreams, again, Joseph's brothers hated him. In fact, they hated him so much. Remember, I mentioned earlier, at first they were irritated by him, and then it says they were jealous of him, and then they eventually hated him. But hate, if it's not dealt with, can become even violent. And the Bible tells us that they were conspiring to kill him. I'll tell you what, that, that's some pretty powerful stuff when, when, when irritation turns to jealousy, turns to hatred, turns to premeditated murder. You see, the thing that they were thinking is kill the dreamer and you kill the dream. If they don't like the idea of bowing down to their brothers, if you kill the dreamer, you kill the dream. Genesis chapter 37, you have it before you, verses 23 and 24 read this way. So when, Jason, when Joseph rather came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Notice the first thing they did was take that robe off. Boy, that thing just wore on them. They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him, without the robe, and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. I need to explain something here. A, a cistern was a, uh, a water-holding tank. It would have, in this place and at that time, it would have been carved out of stone. It was probably situated near a stream or a runoff so that in the wet season, it w water would be diverted into it so that they would have water in the dry season. It was apparently later in the dry season because now the water that had been held had all been used up in the cistern was dry. And though it was designed to hold water, it effectively held Joseph. And so he's there at the bottom of this cistern looking up. I wonder, I wonder, I, I wonder what Joseph thought as he stood in the bottom of that cistern and looked up. I assumed that there was some inlet, some hole, some pipe or something that ran into it, the, the hole in which they lowered him down. And I picture him in my mind standing at the bottom of that dark hole, looking up into a circle of light and his brothers looking down. I wonder what, what, what went through Joseph's mind as he stood at the bottom of that cistern and looked up at his brothers. What went through his mind? You see, I, I, I say that because 
When God-given dreams, let me, let me clarify again, God-given dreams, when God-given dreams inevitably run into hard times, questions can come into our minds. Have you found that? When God-given dreams, when he gives us a dream, when the inevitable hard times come, and they always will, it can cause us to question or to ask hard questions about those dreams. I wonder if Joseph, as he's standing there and looking up, I'm wondering if he thought to himself, did I misread the dream? This is not what I saw. I wonder if he's down in the bottom of that, and he may have even heard something about them killing him. We'll put you here for now, and we'll kill you later. I don't know if he's, but I wonder if he looked up at, from the bottom of that hole, that, that circle of light, the only light that was there. And I wonder if he thought to himself, I wonder if the dream is still in effect. When God-given dreams meet difficult times, it causes us to ask hard questions. This, this cistern, this, this hole in the ground was one of those details that was purposely left out of the dream, right? <laughs> he did not see this. All he saw was his brothers and his, his family bowing down to him. He did not see this particular part of the dream. He couldn't see the full picture. He wasn't supposed to see the full picture. But he was learning something. Joseph was learning something that would be repeated many, many times, and that is quite simply this, that God-given dreams are partially fulfilled in unexpected ways and in hard places. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. God-given dreams will always be partially fulfilled in unexpected ways and in hard places. And that's very important to understand because sometimes we think God-given dreams means, boy, from here, that's the hard part, and now the easy part comes just rolling it out. But that's not true. That's not, that's not reality. And those of you who have received and I trust that all of you have in some ways. If not, he's going to give you one. That when those, dream comes, when those dreams come to hard times, we find that they are partially fulfilled in unexpected ways and in hard places. When Joseph saw those dream images, sometime earlier, we don't know exactly how long, but when he saw those dream images representing his brothers bowing before him, he didn't know that before they bowed down to him, he would first look up to them from the bottom of a pit. <laughs> Did I get this wrong? They, they were supposed to bow down to me, not me look up to them. How's this possible? This wasn't in the dream. Joseph was learning that God's plans seldom happen in ways we expect. Yet God was using this very difficult place and others that would follow. This is, this is really the first time, and, and, and we'll see, Lord willing, we will see uh, uh, many more occasions, several more, at least three more occasions where, where he's in a very, very difficult place. But he, he's learning that God is using this difficult place and others to shape him, to shape him, to prepare him for a place of immeasurable influence without giving the details away, without a spoiler, if you will. 
I, I need to let you know ahead of time that in time, some years from this point, he's right now 17 years old, but at some point in the distant future, he is going to be a man of incredible influence, arguably the most influential person in the entire kingdom during his time, in his day. And God, though he didn't know it, his brother certainly didn't know it, but God was shaping him in this hard place for that place of influence. Let me say that again. God was shaping him in a hard place for a later place of great influence. For a moment this morning, backing away from Joseph, for a moment this morning, I want you to think of the person in your life or maybe persons, a few persons, in your life who have had some of the greatest spiritual influence upon you. Would you do that for a moment? Don't shout it out, but just picture them in your mind. Their face, their name. The person in your life who has had the greatest spiritual influence. By spiritual, I mean eternal. It may have been the person who who brought you to Christ. It was maybe the person who first discipled you or helped you grow in the faith. It may have been a family member, a teacher, a friend, a pastor, a, a, a co-worker. But I want you to think for a moment of the person who had the greatest influence upon you eternally, spiritually. Got it? If you look closely at their life, if you were to pull back some of the layers, maybe you know their history, maybe you don't, but if you were to find out their history, you will find that they also, they also spent time in hard places, went through great disappointments, and grew through faith-building hardships that shaped them to influence you. I say that with great confidence because some of the most spiritually influential people in your life, in the person of, who's sitting next to you, the persons who most influence us are often, almost always, people who have gone through great hardship, great times in, times in which their, their faith was greatly stretched, almost to the limit, Sometimes they are people who went through great disappointment and who went through great heartache. There was a man many years ago, I, I knew him. Some of you may recognize his name. His, his last name was Olson. He was a missionary many years ago. Other than my parents and one other person, probably the person who had the greatest influence upon me spiritually, I got to know him very well. He's long since been with Jesus, but a godly, godly man, both he and his wife, godly people. And, and I mean, the, the man just, you would talk with him. He was such a man of deep prayer and deep passion for Christ. He was a missionary in, in a country that was predominantly Muslim, and he got kicked out of the country because he was leading so many people to Jesus. This is not a good reason to get kicked out of the country. If you're going to get kicked out of the country, do it because you're leading so many people to Jesus. And he came home, and I had known him for many years. My parents had prayed for him every day, every day for all the years growing up. 
And uh, I found out later on, getting to know him, I found out, I asked him one day, I said, did you ever have, do you and your wife ever have children? Because I had never heard about children. He says, we had one child. The child died, he said, as they were in, far, they were in this country many, many years ago. He said, our child died. My wife was very sick. She contracted a, a horrible disease. So did the child, and the child died. And he said, it was one of the hardest moments of my life as I buried our little child. My wife couldn't be there, and I buried our little, our little child in a, in a hillside as it was raining down. He says, I've never felt lower in my life. But he said, I also sense the presence of God unlike any other. And I think it was one of the first times that I realized that persons of great influence have also been prepared greatly. And that's just one example from his life. I'm sure that there were many others. There are people who, who have a, a tremendous influence eternally on us. But if we look closely, they have gone through can I use this term cistern times? Times when they suffered, times when they were disappointed, times when they, they, they went through some of the most powerfully difficult moments that shaped them, that later shaped me and you. And here's the thing. If you are pursuing a God-given dream, you are also, and you are also in a hard place, then I want you to understand that God is preparing you to influence others for Him. You see, it's not just about who was that person who influenced you. I think sometimes more importantly is, who are you going to influence in the future and right now through a difficult difficult time, God is preparing you and shaping you and forming you and building faith in you right now in this difficult, difficult place that you are enduring. Congratulations, you are getting ready to be a person who greatly influences others because of him. See, we don't think about that. We think about the people who've influenced us, but we sometimes forget about how God is getting us ready to shape other people. And he does that in difficult times. God's preparing you to influence others for him. Now, there's something else that happened in that cistern, in that, that hard place that Joseph, in that very hard place, Joseph made some important choices. Now, here's the thing, and I have to be right up front with this. The Bible doesn't say what Joseph did or said or even thought in that cistern. You won't find what he's saying, doing, or thinking down there. We just know that he's in the hole. But here's the thing. You will also not find him doing some things. You will not find him anywhere in the text, anywhere in this account. You will not find him down in the hole in this difficult, difficult place. You will not find him rejecting God. There's no record of him. I believe that he did not because I see what happened later on. But you'll find no record of him cursing God and saying, how dare you give me this dream? I want nothing to do with you. You will not find that because it didn't happen. 
Even in that dark and difficult place, he still trusted God. You will not find any record of him down in this hole yelling up to his brothers, hey guys, I was just kidding. I really didn't have this dream. Can, we, can you just pull me up out of here and, and you know what, I'll bow down to you. You won't find any record of that. All you see is this man suffering down in this hole. Those were choices, choices to not do something, but still choices. They were choices that determined the continuation of the dream. Do you realize that though the man could have lived if he would have recanted, if you will, he could have lived, but the dream could have died down in the cistern. In difficult places, you may make it through, but dreams can die in difficult places. We can reject what God desires to do in us in those difficult places. We can say, how dare you allow me to go through this difficult thing? I'm a, <coughs> I'm a child of God. How can you do this? And the dream that God gives you can die in a dark place. Here's the thing. You always have choices in difficult places. You always have choices in difficult places. You may not choose your place. You may not choose your location. You may not choose many of your circumstances, <coughs> but you will still have choices in difficult places. For example, you will choose your attitude in a difficult place. Write that down. You will choose your attitude. In a difficult place, you will choose your attitude. <clears throat> we have three children. They're all grown up. One of them's here today, but, but we would always tell this to our kids, particularly when they were small, because we wanted to learn them when they were small rather than later on. We would always tell them, you are in charge. You decide your attitude. We would tell them that. It's a lot easier to learn that at four and five and six than it is at 15, 16, or 17. I'm telling you that to, to parents here. But I would, we would tell them, you choose your attitude. Sometimes our kids, I won't mention which one, but, but sometimes our kids would, would, boy, they'd have an attitude and, 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 and we would say, wait a minute, no, you choose, you, you, you choose your attitude. Yeah, but I'm angry. Yeah, but you choose it. You, choo you can choose not to be angry. Do you know, I have, I have, there have been things that make me angry and, and you know, I've experienced this. You know, I can choose not to be angry. Now, some people go, yeah, no, you can't. No, I, trust me, I can, and so can you. We, we choose our attitude. We, we, we choose to be angry. We choose to, to, or not be angry, or we choose to be resentful or not resent. We choose to, to have ill feelings toward another person, or we choose not to. You go, it's not that easy. Well, the power of the Holy Spirit helps us, certainly, but we still have a choice. When bad things happen to us, we have a choice of how we respond to it. I like what one of my favorite writers, his last name Swindoll, wrote many years ago. One of the things that he, he said in this great statement talking about our attitude, he said, he said uh, I've learned that life is about 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. Now you get a hold of that truth, that's pretty powerful. Life is about 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. Listen, I got some news for you, particularly for you younger. You may not know this. If you're older, you know this already. You, they're, they're, life is, how many here know life is challenging? <laughs> okay, some of you don't know that. Well, let me tell you. Life is challenging. It's hard. There are disappointments. 
And you're not going to have any choice over certain things that happen to you, but you have a choice of how you're going to respond to it. You can have fear, you can have faith, you can, you can give in to discouragement, or you can trust God for victory. <laughs> We're going to have... In, in dark and difficult places, you will choose your attitude. In difficult places, you will choose to hold on to or give up on the dream. That's what happens in difficult places. It, do I really believe that God called me to do this, to be that, to accomplish this, to, to do that one thing which may seem insignificant, but he still called me to it, trusting in something greater? In difficult places, you will choose to hold on to the dream or to let it go in difficult places. In difficult places, you will choose to embrace or to reject. Hear, hear me on this. In the difficult place, you will choose to embrace or to reject the role of victim. Now that's going to speak real closely to where some of you are. Because some of you identify yourself as a victim. I am not saying that you were not victimized. I am not saying that bad things did not happen to you. In many cases, they did. In most cases, bad things happen to people. But again, kind of going back to our choices, we can choose to be a victim or we can choose to trust in God and say, Lord, you're greater than what happened to me. We can choose to be to identify ourselves by what happened to us, or we can choose to identify, to find our identity in what he has done to me. When I come to the Lord Jesus Christ and I come to the cross, I can choose to be identified by all of those things that happened to me as a child or as a young adult or as an adult. I can choose to say that is who I am. I embrace who I am because of what they did to me or what that organization did to me or what that individual did to me. Or I can choose to find my identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that these things didn't happen. It means that because of the cross, now I am different. And and we choose that. We we often choose that in difficult places. You know, there are people, I've seen it all the time. I've I've seen it many times, I shouldn't I've seen it so many times where people hold on to that thing that happened to it them and they see themselves purely or 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 primarily rather as victim rather than victor through Jesus Christ. I'm not minimizing what happened to you. I'm simply saying that God is greater. Choices are made in difficult places. Somebody's going to put you in a hole and you're going to make a choice there. Somebody's going to put you in a difficult place and you're going to make a choice there. Somebody's going to hurt you, wound you, disappoint you, and you will, in that difficult place, choose to trust him or to succumb to the environment and the dream will die. But I pray, I pray that you do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you do trust in him. You may declare, by the way, you may declare that you trust in Jesus. You may declare, I have absolute faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I I trust that you do. For it is in Jesus Christ alone that we must place our faith. We sang it this morning, there's no other name. But listen to me. 
Your faith in Jesus Christ will not be demonstrated simply by the words you say, but by the choices you make. That, you may want to write that down. Your faith in Christ will not be demonstrated simply by the words that you say, but by the choices that you make. You say you trust in Jesus? Okay, show me your choices. Say, I love Jesus. Oh, really? What do your choices say? It's a big day as followers of Jesus Christ that we realize that I have a choice. Some things I have no choice over. Things that happen to me, I have no choice over some of the things that happen to us. In Sunday school this morning, I was talking about how farmers is so much like our, you know, you know some of you, those of you in agribusiness, you know there are so many factors that are beyond your control. You can't control hail. You can't control wind. You can't control rain. You can't control crop prices. But what you do is you make choices. Regardless of all those other things, you still make choices and, and you give it everything you have and you make those choices because if you don't choose to plant those seeds and, and prepare that soil before that and, and plant those seeds and, and, and do everything you can to, to, to create an environment, if you don't choose that, then you're going to choose failure. There are some things that are beyond our control, but you'll still have choices. Your faith in Christ is demonstrated and revealed in your choices. Now look at verse 25 through 28. As they, it says, as they sat down to eat their meal, that's the brothers now, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Joseph, excuse me, Judah said to his brothers, Judah is one of the older brothers, said to his brothers, what, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Here, here, th here's what they figured. They figured, well, why kill him when we can sell him, right? <laughs> Slavery in Egypt will be like a slow death anyway. Same result, we just make some money. Might as well make a little bit of money and... Let's sell them. Let's not kill them. Let's sell them. Verse 28 reads this way. So when the Midianite merchants came by, when they got closer, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Here's the thing. If you stopped reading Joseph's story with that verse, verse 28, if you stopped reading Joseph's story with that verse, you would conclude that that was the end of the dreamer and the end of his dreams. End of story. Here's the thing. That mangy bunch of Ishmaelite slave traders, my apologies if there are any Ishmaelite slave traders here this morning, and I'm calling you mangy, but that mangy group of Ishmaelite slave traders were God's way out of that brief but difficult season. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Their treatment, I, you know, again, it doesn't record it, but I'm sure that their treatment was, was none too gentle. They probably jerked him out of that hole and he got rope burns. They probably threw him in, on the back of a camel or in a wagon be, between some myrrh and some balm and stuck him there and tied him up. They may have hogtied him and thrown him in there until he, he settled down. I'm sure their treatment of him was none too gentle. But it was better than an agonizing death at the bottom of a cistern. Egypt 
and the slavery that awaited him wouldn't have been Joseph's choice of destinations. But those people, those Ishmaelite slave traders, those people would take him to that place, to Egypt, where God-given dreams would come true. Those people in that place were a part of the fulfillment of God's plan in Joseph's life. They were a part of the dream coming true. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's way of deliverance may be unusual, but it will be effective. God's way of deliverance may be unusual, but it will be effective. I can't tell you the number of times where people have told me, man, I, I just, something really bad happened to me, but it showed up something that, that boy, it would turn out to be something just really wonderful. I think some of the, I'm not going to go into detail, but some of the things that have happened in my life, boy, some of them were just massive disappointments. <laughs> Only later did I realize, oh, God, you set me free. Hallelujah. I remember one girl, well, that's a whole different story. <laughs> boy, I was heartbroken. I, I was just heartbroken. <laughs> I cried before, God, God, why is this happening? And I look back a couple years later, thank you, Jesus, you set me free. My apologies to you if you're here this morning, that girl a long time ago, or she's listening. Man, this is being recorded. What am I doing here? God's way of deliverance may be unusual, but it will be effective. Listen, this, none of these things were revealed in the dream. None of these things were revealed in the dream, but God had a purpose. Perhaps God has given you a dream. Perhaps God has given you a dream. Not your dream, his dream. And they're different. Not your plans for your life, his plans for your life. Not what you want to become, what he wants you to become. Not what necessarily what you want to do, but what he wants to do in you. And here's the thing, let me give you some hope here. If you give yourself to the Lord and you surrender yourself entirely to him, then what he has for you becomes what you desire to do. I don't know if some of you got that. In other words, it's not, it's not our will and his will constantly clashing his dream going against my dream it's us submitting ourselves to him giving ourselves entirely to him and then his dream for us becomes our dream for ourselves we embrace his dream and that's that, that boy that's a lot easier than dreams colliding the rest of your life if he has given you a dream because of that dream you may be in a very hard place today May he keep you in that hard place until he's done preparing you in that place. We often say, God, get me out of the hard place. No, no, I'm, here's what I pray. If God has given you a dream, and because of it you're in a hard place, then I'm, I pray this for you and for me. Then, Lord, leave us in that place until you have finished preparing us in that place. Because he has a purpose for that place. And then when he removes you from that difficult place and time, get ready, it may not be in the way that you want. He may take you 
to a place you don't want to go in a way that you don't want to go. But you are still in his plan. You are still in his plan. And as you remain faithful to the dream giver, the dream will come true. As you remain faithful to the dream giver, when in difficult places you don't surrender to the agony, you don't surrender to the pressure. As you remain faithful to the dream giver, his dream for you will come true. I have no question. The dream that God has put in your heart, hear me, hear me deeply. That dream will come true, conditional upon you staying close to the dream giver. The enemy of your soul wants to defeat you and to destroy you. He wants to destroy your God-given dream. But God is shaping you in difficult places. We're about to close, and I'd like you to, to bow your heads. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to simply not just listen to it but agree with me. Lord Jesus, give us dreams that are bigger than ours. Give me your dream that is bigger than my dream. Give me Give us a glimpse into the future of what you want us to do and what you want us to become. Give us dreams. We pray this. Give us dreams. Regardless of age, give us dreams. We may have more years behind us than in front of us. Give us dreams. Show us just a glimmer just a glimpse of what you want us to do and to be. And Lord, shape us in difficult places. We're in a difficult place, perhaps right now. Shape us right where we are. Shape us right where we are. As we continue praying, would you stand with me? Across this sanctuary, everyone standing, if at all possible. Lord, we sang earlier how we are amazed by you. We're amazed that you love us. We're amazed often at how you work. We're amazed at the dreams you give us. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, and we continue on in the fulfillment of the dream. May we go in your power and in your presence. 
we give ourselves to you and we trust you. The dream giver to make your dreams for us come true. And we will give you all the glory. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it this morning, say amen. God bless you. Go in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, these altars are open. Many of you came up around these altars last week. These altars are open. Please respect those who are praying. God bless you. Go in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as he fulfills his dreams for you.